Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Tej Talks podcast. On today's podcast, I have Hugh. Hugh is going to be talking about SearchLand, which is a bit of software that I use uh, pretty much on every single deal that I analyze. I will use this, whether it's for a few minutes or whether it's for a lot more in detail. Uh, when I'm looking for land uh, and when I previously was looking more heavily for land, or at least when I'm analyzing land, I will use this software. Uh, I use it you know, with my own house to verify and check some things. And I really like it, which is why I've got him on, because I like to get people on who, you know, have things like this that will benefit you that I actually can say I use every other day, every day, depending on, you know, how heavily and how deeply I'm working on property in that moment. So, yeah, we talk about software, we talk about finding land, talk about planning. So, yeah, if you're interested in development, this is definitely one for you. Um, But I use the platform for non-development for 95 percent of my use uh, to centralize things. Now, look, if you haven't booked in a free 30 minute call, what are you doing? I charge for consultations. I charge for mentoring sessions. So this is a free 30 minute session where we can talk about you, your strategy, what you're trying to achieve, how you're trying to achieve it. And if I can help you and how I can help you with that. And if I can't, then, you know, hopefully I can direct you to someone or something that can help you. So what are you waiting for? Whether you're new or whether you're experienced, book in your free 30 minute strategy call right now. Go to tejsing.xyz and that's it. T-E-J-S-I-N-G-H dot X-Y-Z or click the link in the show notes. Bye. Hugh, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Hello, Tej. How are you doing? I am good. I'm looking forward to this chat because we were meant to do this, I think, a while ago. We were just saying off air um, and uh, I think we both just got busy. I kind of stopped doing podcast for like a few weeks few months kind of on and off and then um you contacted me again and i said hold on a minute yeah like literally because you know we're going to talk about this but the the software for the company that you kind of founded and you run uh i use all all the time um i was just using it this morning actually and yesterday um for my own house actually as well so um and i always recommend it to people as well so i like to speak to people who bring value and, and in this case have a bit of kit, a bit of software that I use, you know, I actually use it on every deal. That's not even land related. Obviously when they are great, huge help, but I use it on all sorts of stuff. Um, and we can talk about that. And also, you know, for people listening, I want to talk about running a company that's not, you know, a property investor. You're not just buying property. You're not renting out. You're doing something different, but it's in property to show people that, you know, there are other avenues, um, and technology is so desperately needed in property. So people are probably wondering, what the hell is it you do, Hugh, and who are you? So give us give us an introduction. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. We've been meaning to do this for about a year. Um, what the hell do I do? I've been asking my, that myself for a while <laughs> now. So let me give you the, the cliff notes, the spiel I usually give. So um, yeah, I started a company called Searchland with three others who are now very close friends. One of them was actually a really good friend before then, is still a really good friend. Um, and it's effectively around digitalizing a lot of digitizing a lot of land and planning information 
really trying to centralize stuff that that was kind of like a low hanging bar for us or a low hanging bit of fruit for us to actually go and do is just bring everything into one place. Um, but actually it was about adding value through technology, which we'll get into, you know, you're saying it's a bit backwards in this industry, um, tech's much needed. People seem to think of tech as just being able to, to sort of simplify and streamline the process, but actually there's so much more you can do when you put a, a good algorithm, good bit of software behind something. It's about going above and beyond. So uh, companies like to think, think of um, competitive advantage. Um, well, so that can be achieved through software. So it's what I do is help run a tech company. I'm not a tech background myself. I come from a, a planning background. Didn't last very long on that. Um, but effectively, the Cliff Note, what SurfSand does is it helps connect man finders, deal sources, sort of um, anyone who's usually got an angle on planning, but you might be able to tell me otherwise, as an active customer, um, and basically have more transparency and connect them with the landowner, um, ideally to get an ROI. But if the inf- getting access to the information is so difficult, then it will just solve that pain. But effectively, access to information and quickly in the planning and land world. And that you know, sort of the weird spiel of it. I think it's a problem that we all face. Now, you know, if people are listening and they're not doing land, they're doing bicycles, they're doing flips, I think generally there's still uh, a lack of a central resource. There's still a lack of somewhere we can go to get information because we have to go to four or five different sites to kind of get information that you'd think in 2022 would be in one place. And I think it's a common problem in a lot of industries, actually, like this sort of centralizing things. Um, and, and I totally get what you said about it being a low hanging kind of bar, because I think tech wise, it's easier to centralize and collate things and scrape data than it is to kind of create something new. But, you know, you've also done that, which we'll get to. So, you know, property is, you know, slow, it's antiquated. It's just ugh, like it's so outdated. When you started this tech business, um, you know, did you, I mean, what did you think were going to be your biggest challenges and did they sort of come true in reality? Yeah, that's, that's a good one. What were the biggest challenges? Well, let me start that by doing some, I'm probably going to shoot myself in the foot. Um, we, we weren't looking to, we were just doing what we thought made sense at the time, right? We didn't have this big goal, be the number one, like completely change the industry, things like that. I'm not saying that we've done that yet, but that wasn't necessarily how we walked into this. It was really, I was finding land. It was a pain in the ass. I didn't like what was available and the processes were, I mean, by the way, I'm incredibly lazy as a person, which is, I think, a, quite a good characteristic to start in a company. Um, so we were just doing things that I didn't like about my own personal workflow and things that made sense. The biggest challenge I thought we were going to have is seeing if people even responded to that. Was it something they even wanted, needed? They had available, some had available solutions. And what's become clear to me in the last, I would say, three, six months is that people are really responding to what we've put out. Um, it's been the most rewarding thing is, is saying, well, this is something that I always wanted. And now we've got, you know, probably got close to 300 businesses now on the platform. Um, and they're responding really well to the workflows, to the automation, uh, to the other bits that we put in there. They're at a little bit, I would say, I don't want to say ahead of its time, but if we talk about property, it's usually a little black book. It's your network and things like that. We're trying to do things that are sort of lowering that barrier to entry. I mentioned automation. I thought that was going to be a real difficult push. Um, but it's the thing that people like the most. 
Um, so yeah, in, in terms of that, we were a little bit naive walking into it, but we've taken to it and serve our customers, which is just quite a nice place to be really. Mm, and I, I suppose also, you know, you've one, you're solving a problem that you faced yourself, which I think in all businesses, all successful businesses, the bigger the problem you solve, the fact you're solving a problem is going to create success because you're fixing something for for someone. However niche, however big that problem is, you're fixing it. And I think when you have your own experience of that problem, it can make it easier because you put yourself in, in the shoes of your customer. So that's something for people listening is when you're operating a business that's not just a traditional property business, it's like if you if you understand it from your customer's perspective from day one, I think it makes it a lot easier than trying to fix a problem that you've never sort of understood or you've never experienced. Um, and, you know, with property, you know, not being so technologically advanced as well, I think you've got a good market because even if you come in with what you and I might look at and say, that's some basic ass tech, the world of property will say, oh my God, it's revolutionary, right? But like, you probably do. Oh, I've, seen that. I've seen that. I've seen that firsthand. We, we, put in, we put in a simple data set and I'm like, okay, cool. Let's just get this out of the way because we've been talking about it for ages. And it happens to be the thing that people respond to the most, even though it's the easiest to do. Uh, mm. So yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. Is what will people respond to in terms of how advanced something is? I still don't really know. <laughs> exactly, and I suppose that's you know iterating and learning all the time, especially in a tech business where you know you can do that um, because things are a lot more fluid than plastering a wall and, and dealing with that kind of crap. So you know, in this business, how because there's, there's three of you who founded it, so like. How did you split your responsibilities? And are you all tech? Are you tech? How is it kind of split? Oh, I'm not allowed on the code base anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm I'm not tech. Um, I'll I'll take myself off. I'm the easiest one to answer. So, like I said, I used to I used to be a planner. I was a graduate planner. I didn't stay for very long. Um, what I did like is site finding. I'd find land for developers. So, in terms of what I offer. It's really around the processes. So what do people want? What's important to them? What order do they need it? And how can we do it quicker? Um, a lot of that is me spitballing ideas with them and the other two saying, Hugh, you're an idiot. That's not a good idea. I can't work for X, Y, and Z. Um, by the way, this is going into how important it is to have a really good team behind you. Um, my The other founder who is the sort of, he's founder and senior software developer. So he's and head of data. So at search stand, he is now responsible. Didn't always start like this, but he's now responsible for basically vetting how um, how doable a project is. Right? If we say we want to do something, is the data available? Does it exist in a way we can use it? Um, and then, what can we build around it in the integrations? So that's like that's like the sort of real software stuff to it. Um, and then the third co-founder. Um, is basically fantastic at just building companies, overseeing the whole thing, and basically sure, making sure that we can execute on ideas. So we each have slightly different roles. Um, we almost always come together on collaborating ideas, whether it's them saying, no, that's stupid, or yeah, that's great, we can do something with it. Um, but ultimately, it comes down to, do the customers want it? And can we even execute it in time? Now, you'll know we've only been around for about 18 months, a bit longer now. Um, so execution is absolutely key. Um, and that's what having a good team is about. So, yeah, they help basically deliver on all the projects. Mm. And, you know, when it comes to finding land, I know you said earlier that you enjoy it, it is quite daunting to people who have never done it before. I think, you know, if I said to someone on the street, you know, 
right, you've got 10 minutes, you've got the internet, go and find me, you know, a bike to let, go and find me a flip, go and find me a service accommodation. They're going to go on Zoopla, they're going to go on right move, they're going to say, you know, is this what you're looking for? If I say, you know, find me something that needs a refurb, I'm probably going to find it. Like, you know, you don't need a brain to scroll and say, that's a shithole. Here's, here's a potential deal, right? Like, you know, finding that is so straightforward that anyone really on the street, you know, who can use a phone or a computer could find a deal. Obviously there's a million and one things, you know, around it and after that, that are complex and, that, and you know, people can't do, but you know, there's a deal. Cool. If I said the same thing about land, I think people would be perplexed as to where they even start. Um, because there is no, I mean, I know right moving Zupa do have land as well. Fine. Which most people probably don't realize. Um, but often it's mislabeled, often it comes with planning and it's overpriced. And, you know, I don't think it's the best way necessarily to find land. And what are better ways that people can find land? How can we demystify this for people listening? Yeah, well, that's, that's the that's the million dollar question right there. Um, planning. In my in my mind, it's all planning. But um, I, I, I approach land finding from a slightly different place from a lot of others say our customers who usually come from maybe a development angle and then get into planning um to me it is a question of planning why is it more difficult to some than others it's because some understand the world of planning better than others um planning is very much the rules of the game i mean we literally talk about it about playing the game of planning um uh, and it's basically what you can cannot do now understanding planning in and out will probably get you 70 to 80% of the way there. And I've, I've got some tips on how you can actually understand planning better from a novice, basically a, a planning for non-planners approach. Um, but where, where something, you know, we will struggle with and a lot of others will struggle with and why planning will always remain uh, a sort of key role is the other 20% that you can't control the other 20, 30%. Well, that's usually just the, um, the problem with dealing with people, dealing with councils that have different ambitions and basically the lack of absolute clarity in terms of one case officer can say one thing and another case officer could say something completely different. Um, I can go into why that's the case, but ultimately planning is daunting. Finding land is therefore daunting because of that. But if you can just get comfortable and confident in understanding the rules, you know, there, there are a couple of hard and fast rules. Um, you can do yourself a lot of favors that then ties into that sort of point you said where, you know, go ask someone to find a plot of land. Well, you don't have to be a planner or you don't have to get a planning application to make that site viable. There's a lot that you can do in the background to get the deal to sort of, not necessarily oven ready stage, which would be like a, a site with a ticket on it with a planning application, but to a point where you can then deliver it or hand it off to someone, say in your network, say a planner, an architect, uh, who can then take it to the next stage. So, um, yeah, if you find land daunting, it's about leveling up to a point where you're confident to do your role um, and reach out. Yeah, and I think the the knowledge is important because, you know, I could show you a field, show me a field, and show a super experienced developer a field. And one of us is probably going to know it better than the others. Um, one of us <laughs> is probably yeah. going to, you know, know what to do, know the local plan, know what's possible, know, you know, part of it might be green belt, blah, blah, blah. Because like you said, they've leveled up. So I think it's important for people before just going, oh, let's find land. It's to understand what you can do with land in general and then what you can do in your local area and what the local plan says and what the, the general planning frameworks are. Um, because otherwise you're just looking 
for stuff and then thinking, huh, what? Okay, I'll take this through some sort of process, but it's better to, I think, be prepared with that process um, to find it. And for me, you know, Searchland is epic at doing this. There's so many, well, there's so many features I, ha- I don't even use or haven't even used um, for finding these kind of off-market opportunities. And for me, actually, the biggest thing, and I know people listening can't see this, but the biggest thing is just the map. Like it's, it's kind of how visual the platform is um, and the different types of map, the OS map, the hybrid map, etc. which, you know, sometimes when I'm looking for land, it's a case of, right, here's a town. I, I, I understand the local boundaries. Where the hell are there bits of land? Um, I know you've got bits of tech and stuff that can make that quicker. Um, but that visual element, I think, really, really helps. Um, and that's underlooked. It's like Google Maps on like steroids, but like like big, serious steroids. Um, so talk <laughs> to me about the software in terms of finding off-market opportunities what how can it speed it up how can it help people do it quicker than literally sitting on google maps trying to find a field cool okay first thing if you're if you're looking for sites and you're still on google maps i mean like it's time to move past that i think we as a as an industry we we elevated from google maps a few years ago um but you're right it's very visual now back to that point of you show me, a plot of land, you, and then maybe a much more experienced developer, we are all going to have different takes. So I like to think of site finding as uh, there's qualitative aspects and then there's quantitative aspects. So what I mean by that is the map is all your visual cues. Now, an experienced site finder, I've probably looked at well over a thousand sites now, probably a couple thousand. Within a millisecond, it's like a super fast computer in your head, milliseconds of looking at a satellite with its boundaries, you'll be able to see where the access is, how big the field is, how adjacent it is to development, uh, slope, gradient, is it being te- is it being taken care of, and so on. And all of these form a, a sort of knee-jerk reaction. To the right of that, and that's, that's just a satellite, there's nothing special going on there. To the right of it, you've then got what we call our title lookup. That is the quantitative stuff. Um some people prefer the visual, some people prefer the hard numbers. Now, that's going to give you the exact size, how developed it is. If it's on any constraints, just as a headline, um, numbers, planning history, sales history, things like that. So between the two, you get quite a nice picture. Now, I like to think of site finding has, has taken sort of three, three uh, genera- yeah, generations. There's three sort of big evolutions that's happened. One is your... Actually, let's go four. Let's start from the beginning. Uh, one is the boots on the ground approach. You are out and about. You're looking for sites um, and you're, you're actively trawling. My old director said that he used to literally go to the library. This is back in the, the 80s. Go to the library. He would have to take a page of the A to Z um, and then mark out where he was going to go and then go and trawl around that. That was the That's the old school. People still do that, but usually when you're just out and about, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, then we got Google Earth and a few other bits of tech that you could sort of look at. Then the second way past that was some of our competitors joining. I like to put them into that sort of later stage where it was about linking data, putting it in one place. We mentioned that, you know, quite a low hanging bit of fruit is just to put the data into one place. Um, then to answer your question, what can you do to actually go above and beyond that? Well, that's one of the things that we've got is called the sourcing tools. So yes, you can see the satellite. Yeah, you can see the data and all the things behind it. But the sourcing tool is is really where I think site finding is at and where it's going and where it will go into future. And I can go into that as well, what site finding will look like in 10 years time. But the sourcing tool for us is about designing your perfect site 
whether that is something for an extension, whether it's for a demolition and rebuild, whether it's to get rid of a bungalow and put on nine units or for a big strategic bit of land or an office. I mean, really, whatever your perfect site is at the end of the day, design that from a very data-led point of view. So it must be X big, X developed, use class, not in this constraint, not in that constraint. And then just say search, go. And instead of trawling the map and being quite visual, it just says, hey, these are the 100 opportunities that match your criteria. Do you want to look at them? Um, and it's combining the old approach, which is just being that quite qualitative you know, assessment, and then adding the tech. So we literally have like a Tinder-style function for looking at land. Uh, you just hit next if you don't like it. And if you like it, you save it, and then you put it in your project. And then it becomes a whole question of project management and how you're going to you know, keep your rates up and make sure you're saving enough sites and sending enough letters. I like that. I like the Tinder approach. And it makes sense from you know being a tech company to use uh user interfaces that people know and like and that other companies have probably spent lots of money researching that works um so that's a good idea and yeah it's a nice way to explain the system and how it works and you know we've been speaking about data and you know you used to be a planner planning risk something we've mentioned is pretty damn high especially on a bit of mud that's just a bit of mud and you know there's maybe not been any history or you know or you're just looking at it and you say oh well there's a house next door so maybe we could build a house here that can work don't know if people are going to spend hundreds of thousands of pounds buying it to then not get a house built there um might cause a few problems so how do you use data and how does the platform use data to sort of reduce planning risk before even setting foot on a site yeah, exactly. That's called that's called front ending risk, right? And that is um, that is the the one of the fun, most fundamental things in off market site finding. Um, from a purely planning perspective, how do you do it? Well, one is just making sure that any sites that are a bit hairy or something you don't want to touch, you can disregard those as quickly as possible. So. Um, how you do that you mentioned planning history actually looking at seeing what's what's being applied on that you know plot of mud or whatever it is you're looking at um then on the planning side looking at what's going on in the area around it also looking at constraints um understanding what constraints are on your site or near your site planning is also is, is very much around what what does this physical site say everything within the boundary what is that telling you and then what is the wider area telling you and then beyond that the third one is what's the council and the national statement they call it local uh, local, regional, and national approach to sort of assessing. Um, you can get lost in that stuff. So I, I, what I recommend is when you're actually site finding, you're trying to de-risk a site, it's just what are those what are those real knee-jerk reaction things that jump out at you? And what does your gut say? Should you go forward and do a bit more due diligence or do you just swipe left and disregard it? Um, those are constraints. If you're doing off-market site finding, you have 20-something million titles you can look at. Why would you look at one that's in the flood zone, conservation area, and next to a listed building? You wouldn't. Um, and going through that, and then just running through the motions. I am in the process of putting together a bit of a checklist of how you would basically screen a site. And it is it is a checklist. It is, have you checked access? Have you checked uh, constraints? Have you checked the planning history? Have you checked what the council's doing? Um a slightly different point on top of that is I do not recommend anyone give any off-market site a full planning appraisal or for 
appraisal of any type, you're not going to find enough sites because it's going to take too long. Um, so yeah, it's about that's sort of the time management side. The third thing, and this is this is something I probably should have said at the beginning, is if you're not that comfortable with the planning, one thing you can do is just look at just look at recently approved or refused applications. Um, if you find what's called, typically it's called the decision notice, but it can be uh, sometimes it's called the committee report, or or if it's yeah, if it's gone to committee, read that. That will tell you everything you need to know about a particular policy or application. That is like studying the practice exams, right? Um, you're going to want to read a few of those. Ideally, find an application that's similar to what you think you might be getting involved in. Read as much of those, and you will learn lots on that in a very sort of iterative um, approach to it. Those decision notices are invaluable. Uh, they're very cool if you like planning. A hundred percent. I have read so many of those. I've read like the responses, the co- like the everything that is up there. Like you learn so much about, and you kind of learn there preferences sometimes um especially if you're focusing on like a small area and you're looking through all the applications and also i think it can be quite uh what's the word inspiring somewhat in terms of it can inspire and show you what's possible so you might look at a house and say okay well yeah do standard refurb whatever but you go on the planning portal you look nearby and this is what i do when i use it for like buy to lets or flips i say oh dev did this extension they did that dorm oh i could add a fourth bedroom okay that could add 30 grand hmm maybe I should consider this. Let me look at their plans. And so I think just studying that planning portal like is so important, you know, if you're doing things that involve planning, um, which people want to do more and more of. Uh, and, you know, once I suppose people have, and actually something that I find irritating and found irritating is kind of like not having a pipeline. So having a pipeline, but it kind of being on Excel or it being, on my whiteboard or in my head um have you got a way using the software that having a pipeline and also tracking it in terms of like yep got a response didn't get a response etc like that you can do that's a lot easier than my old school methods yeah i mean um yeah pipeline is incredibly important with site finding um so yes we do is the short answer um but in understanding how to manage pipeline it's also understanding like what are the conversion rates that you're expecting. So say we're doing off-market site finding. So we are looking at land in that sort of one to nine unit range and you just want to write to the landowners, the proprietors, whoever it is. The industry talks about a conversion a response rate of 10%. They're like, yeah, write 10 letters, you'll get one back. Um, that That's not a terrible rule of thumb, but probably five to 10% is probably a bit more realistic. So keep that number in the back of your head and then realize that for every 100 sites you find, uh, you might get a handful of responses and that's kind of what you're working at. And then if you get a response, they say, Hey, I'd like to look at your site or actually more likely um, piss off. How did you get my details? <laughs> so it's about working out how many letters do you need to write to get a response? Now, very quickly, you're going to find that you do have a couple of hundred sites you've looked at. Um, so project management becomes, you know, the sort of talking point um, because it's about doing it consistently again and setting yourself up for future. So we do. Our approach is we take a Kanban approach. For anyone who doesn't know what Kanban is, uh, picture your Trellos, your um, – it's, it's basically a series of columns, um, and you can save your sites too, and you can manage. You set your stages. So have you done your due diligence? Have you checked planning? Have you written a letter? Have you um, have you been told to piss off, or have you been invited for you know tea and biscuits to go and discuss? 
So you can drag your sites. The way I like to think about the Kanban management is picture it like a, a funnel. You know, you've got your top end of the funnel where you just dump everything in, ideally pre-qualified. And then every time it moves down the column, you're getting a bit stricter and stricter. And so you're hopefully kicking stuff off. And it's a, it's a, it's a funnel with two, two endpoints, two spouts. And it's either you've got your meeting and you're, you're getting somewhere with your deal or for whatever reason, there's a blocker, which could have happened at any stage. And therefore you shouldn't look at it at that moment. Um, and that's the sort of emphasis on speed. You, know, you want to find a couple hundred sites, but you want to do it quickly because um, you will soon go hungry if you're not sending enough letters or getting your outbound. Mm. Yeah, actually, that's yeah, it is Kanban, isn't it? Of course, I should have realised. It's so like the way it's laid out, it it makes sense. Um, and you know, like I said, I use it for non-land stuff. Like for me, my process is I'm looking at a deal. Once I've done my basic, you know, DD, whatever, I'll just type it in search land just to see the title, just see the plan, see the sold prices in the local area, see what the planning is in the area, just to kind of, I suppose, centralize. That, that's what I do with, with the platform is I centralize, I use it to centralize everything instead of going all over the bloody place. Um, <laughs> you know, I can just do it there. And, you know, you can click the links to go on company's house because if I'm like, oh, it's owned by that company. Hmm, I've heard their name before or like, who are they? And so you know, it just saves me time. And I think a lot of people with a lot of things and software and all of this stuff kind of say, well, you know, what am I paying for if it's just sort of, you know, bringing things together or it's not, you know, and I kind of say to people what we're paying for with any software, with anything is that convenience, like Uber costs 10 pounds, right? To go from one place in London to another, the tube costs, I don't know, two pound, two pound fifty. The tube's probably quicker, but what would you rather sit in? What what do people take? You know, what would people rather probably? And why is Uber so popular? You know, why are these tax companies so popular? Because it does something. It gives people that convenience. So I always like want people to think about, okay, yeah, it comes at a cost, and it might not be the right cost for you. It might not be the right um, sort of time or whatever. Like take it from me, somebody who doesn't like spending money on stuff, that when you have a tool that can reduce your time and your workflow and you in, kind of increase your workflow, it just makes sense. Um, and so, Hugh, what, what is like planned for the future um, for Searchland for your business and for you as well? Yeah, there's a lot. That's a, that's a big, heavy hit question. Uh, firstly, yeah, that's a, that's a good analogy, the, the sort of public transport or Uber. Um, you know, what are you going to do with the extra time that you get? Are you going to put your feet up or are you going to work, do more? Um, and that's, that's one aspect of it, the time, the, the sort of time saving. The other, the other one I would add on to that, and I haven't necessarily got an analogy, even though I should by this point, but is whatever transport you get, that's going from A to B. Um, but imagine if you could do that with like a really enriched experience. So it's not like you're just trying to get from A to B, but you're trying to see as much as possible on your way there uh, and not miss anything. Maybe you want to take the scenic route and you really want to, you know, enjoy it. Now that is a terrible analogy, but it's, it's, it's one about doing what you would like to do, but quicker, but two is doing more of it, getting the better deals and getting the better things out there. Um, and that's the bit that gets discussed a little bit less is would you have missed something entirely if you didn't do it, like a chance encounter or whatever it is. Um, anyway, that's that bit. What have I got planned? Uh, ooh, not a lot of holidays. I can tell you that. Um, we've got, we're, we're working, we're working hard on, we're actually working hard on a raise at the moment. So we're, 
we're doing pretty well as a business and, and I've been told from other tech companies that um, we've got it, we've got it a little bit easy. Uh, I think it helps having three basically or two CTOs. Um, but we've got lots of feature releases. We've got lots of new data sets. We're definitely not shy on that. We've only been doing this for about 18 months. Um, and they're increasingly going to focus on harder and harder to reach data. So a couple of examples are things relating to strategic land, which I will not go into here, but it's very, very gated uh, data. Gated not because you have to pay for it or do things like that. It's because it's held in crappy PDFs that the council's chuck data into and there's you know nearly 400 councils and we have to go and find them some of the stuff we have to literally redraw so i'll just give you an example there's something called schla data i've said that that uh, acronym probably about a thousand times now schla is uh hey with the council we need to build a thousand homes if you're a landowner let us know if you have some land and we'll assess it um but what they do is they have this map or about 300 to a thousand sites get submitted and they grade them they say yeah this is a good site no this is a terrible site why do you even think of submitting it but we go and trace that, draw it, digitize it, and put it in the platform. So it's very difficult to do. But that's where we're sort of getting into the much more complicated stuff that's requiring all these different angles of, of tech. So to actually go and trace data, enrich it, upload it, and then present it in the sort of search down way. That's one bit. We've got a focus on renewables, which I'm really excited about. So we'll just be looking more intensely at the renewable sector and what we can do for them. Um, things like your solar and your battery storage, as well as tapping into the national grid. So it's nice to be doing some of that. Um, and then just upping the basics. We did. We took a real slash and burn approach to um, launching Searchland. You know, we, we're, we're entering an industry that's got quite an established um, competition base. They've been going for quite a few years. Uh, and we had to really level up quick. So we are revisiting a lot of the stuff that we've built and just taking it to that next level um, with an update that's due in two weeks, which I'm very excited about. So that's the sort of general cadence of things. Um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll be raising a bit more money and then hiring out the team and, and growing, growing that side of things. We're currently 11. I think we want to get to about 20 or so, uh, which is fun in itself. Wow. So that's 11 people. So you started with three 18 months ago and now you're at 11. Yes, 11. Um, I've been really fortunate as well to hire, hire um, someone that I know quite well in on the sales and new new sort of starting team. Um, that's worked incredibly well. Uh, the business is at a point now where I think it's, we just want to see um, what else we can do. Um, and it's going to require a bigger team for that. Mm. And, you know, raising money to kind of grow the next phase, it's it's similar to, to property, but I think it's quite different as well in tech companies and the kind of raise you're doing. Have you sort of got a plan for how you're going to do that, how much you want to raise? Like, what, like, Have you planned all that out yet? Yeah, so we're, we're we're currently in the process of doing that plan. We've got a we've got we're at the final stages, really, um, or at the point where we can now approach people. So, how much? It's it's sort of getting close to what we'd call our Series A. Yeah, it's very similar to um, raising finance for a property in the sense that you know you you go and pitch your investment and you say, hey, this is it. This is the expected returns. This is how much we need to pull it off. Are you in or you're out? Um, so it's similar to that in the sense, but it's a little bit different because the deals are a lot or the sorts of sums you get are a lot more um, bespoke to what you're offering. Now, uh, we're series A is usually sort of slightly bigger sums. So we're expecting hopefully a few million and some and some change. Um, 
that would give us a lot of freedom to basically double down what we're doing. Um, but yeah, we've got some good contacts in the industry, which we've been building over the years. who have been keeping, keeping tabs with us and the pace that we've been building. Um, we are avoiding the property industry for uh, access to finance. Uh, unfortunately, we do get requested a lot, but I think we do want to keep it quite clean. If you are a customer, you're a customer um, and we'll serve you as best we can that way. Um, but not necessarily letting people buy into the product. Um, so we are drawing a bit of a line as to who we go to for our finance. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And um, apart from Searchland, is there a bit of technology, some software that you just can't live without? For myself? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, this is a really good question. What do I use? I use a lot. <laughs> Unfortunately, I do too much search land work. <laughs> um, the bit of software that I can't use that is entirely separate. Um, can I say my PlayStation? You can. I did see the controller when we were on video before. So, you know, it's the first thing I saw. <laughs> so it makes sense. Yeah, that's the four. There's the, the fires plugged in. Yeah, I would say my, the PlayStation. It's, I, I'm very big on being able to access that like quite mushy part of your brain that just gets the tune off. And what I've found over the years is uh, some sort of game is the best for that. Things like Instagram and, and you know, other bits of social media, that's too mushy. Um, but yeah, that is the bit. I, I'd say I can't live without it because it's, it's like my, uh, it's my break, basically. I can just tap out, turn my phone off. I'm not getting calls from anyone. I don't have to talk about tech or to anyone else. Uh, or about search land and what it's doing, I can just go and hit things with a rock in the game. <laughs> you know, I know I know exactly how you feel. I think, yeah, I think games do do that. And it's important as well to have that break because especially in a tech company, growing the way you are, it's very easy to just be on it all the time, every time, every day, all night. Like Because I suppose you can be. And then, you know, taking that, sort of stop taking that break and forcing yourself to do it is not easy because oh it's hours i could be growing it i think for anyone listening that's generally a good principle is to take a break of some kind find what works for you from your main business i think the roi from it is going to be a lot bigger than getting burnt out or just you know constantly constantly working i don't think that's going to give you the same um roi as taking a break so Hugh thank you so much for coming on the podcast Uh, I will put your contact details and search lands details in the show notes so if people want to sign up have a go or chat to you they absolutely can so thanks so much for coming on excellent thank you for having me absolute pleasure if you like this podcast connect with Tej on Facebook LinkedIn and YouTube for more great content